Christmas. Good morning. I'll say that. It's good to see you. I'm so glad that you made it through the gauntlet to make your way in. Just file it away in your memory that that will probably be a lot of what we'll have to do starting come May, April, May of this next year. So we'll, uh, we'll try to be figuring out how to do this more effectively. I love Christmas. I love Christmas cards. I, some of you send them. I appreciate that. But I look at them, enjoy the, the, the images on them. And uh, over the years, I've just enjoyed a lot of them that are particularly funny. I, I, I like some funny ones and thought I'd share a couple of them with you this morning. Ran across a couple of funny ones recently. And I just want to show, show you a couple of them. This was one that I thought was on the front cover of a card. Feliz Naughty Dog. Sing it with me, Feliz Naughty Dog. You know, this is, this is what we got going on here. And if you've got a dog like that, you understand. Here's another one. It's strange, but ever since that star appeared, I've had this overwhelming urge to go shopping. <laughs> so what really happened out on the hillside that night was this, right? Another one that, uh, that I enjoy. This is kind of creepy in a way. Operator, these three men on camels have been following me all night. I stop, they stop. I go, they go, I'm so scared, so scared. So you kind of imagine the little camel guys down, the little wise men, so. One more, and uh, I, I just think this is funny. Joseph, what a wonderful creation. And Joseph says, honestly, I just made the crib. And if you notice, the solar system is the mobile. I, I just, I thought that was, that was so funny when I saw that. This is when the wise men showed up, but just before that, you know, they, because uh, you remember in the, if you read the, the Matthew account uh, in Matthew 2 when he shows up, they don't show up actually at the manger. I'm sorry to shatter your image. Matthew 2 says that in fact where they showed up was at a house. You're ahead of me, Bob. So anyway, the, uh, so anyway I'm just giving him grief. The, uh, but they showed up at the house, and so uh, they showed up and here was that little, uh, that little uh, solar system. But then here's one that uh, the truth represents, I think, more the truth of what's going on from a Christmas standpoint. Because this is reality, a whole lot more what the first Christmas was like. The King of Kings, if you uh, have reflected on it at all yet, you've remembered that the King of Kings humbly entered the world in a Middle Eastern stable. And it was a sacred, think about this, invitation-only event. It was a holy moment. Everybody who showed up there that night was personally invited to be a part of this event. It was unlike any other night. We've been in a message series this fall that's entitled Help Me Understand Holiness. And what I want to do this morning and next week is I want to help all of us remember and see that from its beginning, Christmas has always been about holiness. It's always been about that. It's about a holy family. It's about a holy child. It's all about how unholy people can become holy because of the child who was born on that night. And for the next few minutes, we're going to let the holy family, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus, help us grow in holiness. And so uh, just grab your Bibles and I'll hold that in readiness here. As we look at them this morning, we're going to see how their three lives and two character traits that made up their lives essentially make up the foundational character traits, the essence of what it means to be holy, and their traits that you and I, with God's help, need to uh, cultivate in our lives. First character trait shows up most vividly and just uh, powerfully in the life of Mary. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And uh, if you know the biblical story, you know that Mary, who was 
the eventual mother of Jesus, was an average, poor Jewish young woman. She grew up in a below-average Jewish town called Nazareth. Some of you have been to towns like this. It's like the towns that time forgot. They're places that if you go there, you just sort of think to yourself, how do I leave? If you grow up there, you think, how do I leave? How do I get out of here? And you join the military or you do whatever you have to do to escape the, the atmosphere of this town. And that's, that was where the Mary grew up. It's a Jewish town. No way that she could have imagined that her simple, quiet life was about to be altered as she was growing up there by a divine plan that was devised before time began. And uh, this morning, I want to remind you of that plan. The Bible tells us about it in Luke 1. In the middle of verse 26 is where we're going to start. And the Bible says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This was a staggering piece of news for Mary. Can you imagine being greeted by an angel who in essence says to you, or says to her in this case, Mary, out of all the people who ever lived and died on planet Earth, God has chosen you to take part in his divine entrance on the human scene. The Son of God is going to come into this world by way of your womb. It's hard to imagine what that moment must have been like, but it had to be filled with questions. Questions like, what will my parents think? What will my fiancé think? What will my neighbor's priest and rabbi think? Besides those kinds of questions, other questions had to flood her mind. Who am I to parent and raise the Son of God? Who am I? What could I possibly teach him besides things that might possibly mess up his mission? Think of the faith. Think of the courage. None of us would have been shocked if Mary had said to the angel on that occasion, thank you for choosing me. 
but I really would like to pass on this one, you know? Surely there's another way. Surely there's someone else more qualified, more capable than me. But Mary, who was probably all of 15 years of age, had a remarkable kind of response for the angel and the first of two character traits that make up the foundational essence of holiness can be seen in Mary's response to the angel. I want you to listen carefully one more time to Luke 1, verse 38. Mary says to the angel, Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I want you to see this. Mary didn't debate with God. Mary didn't spend a bunch of time feeling sorry for herself. She didn't suddenly think more highly of herself because God had chosen her. What did Mary do? She humbled herself. She offered herself to serve God and his plan in whatever way he chose, regardless of the cost, regardless of her inadequacies, regardless of how people might treat her, regardless of what people might say about her. Mary humbled herself. That humble obedience that was characteristic of Mary is part of the foundational essence of what it means to be holy. It's to humbly make yourself available to obey the God who's calling you. With God's help, you and I need to develop that kind of character trait in us. With God's help, it can be done. We've been talking about that through this whole series. Embrace it. Are there any areas of your life right now where, you know, as you think about where you are, you just think, maybe this morning the Holy Spirit's brought it to your mind. He's just saying, will you, will you humbly obey me in this area? You do what I'm asking you to do. Will you just trust me? That I have your good in mind. Will you humbly obey like Mary did? Now, as you all know, Mary was engaged to a young man who found himself through no fault of his own also drawn into this divine drama. His name was Joseph. And when Mary told him the news... God's message, his initial reaction was totally understandable. In essence, he said, Mary, Mary, you're telling me that God decided to make you pregnant. I, I love you. I hear what you're saying. I have some serious reservations here. I don't want to hurt you, but I can't marry you under these circumstances. This is the spirit of the way Joseph responded to her. How do we know that? The Bible tells us, paints this picture for us in Matthew 1, verses 18 and following. It says this, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the angel explained all that, how that was going to happen in the first passage we read. Verse 19 goes on and says, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, I want to pause right here for just a second because I want you to notice in verse 19, how is Joseph described here as her fiancé and what else? 
a good man. A good man. That's an inadequate way, really, I believe, to, uh, to describe him. And here's, here's why I sort of criticize the New Living Transa Translation here. Because the, the original Greek word can be translated multiple ways. And in fact, most other translations translate it a, a, a little more, um, a little better. The word good in your, you know, in your and my vocabulary is a really watered-down, weak word. We use it for everything. You know, you're having a good day. I mean, that, we use it just casually like that. But the Greek word is actually the word for righteous. It's how it's translated most of the time. Some translations speak of him as upright. So he's a righteous man, an upright man, a virtuous man. It's really a synonym for holy man. It's really what it is. And so look at verse 19. Joseph, her fiancé, was a righteous and upright, a holy man, and did not want to disgrace her, her Mary, publicly. So what's he decide to do? He decides to break the engagement quietly. And the passage goes on to say that as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And then he, the angel quotes Isaiah 7:14, the prophet Isaiah, which says, Look, or behold, the virgin will conceive a child, and she'll give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means... God is with us. It's what the, the name, the word Emmanuel means, is God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now I want you to notice, if you look at that, that verse, verse 24, we see a second character trait that makes up the foundational essence of holiness. It's, it's seen here. It's seen in two aspects here. Verse 24, when Jesus woke up, notice, he, what's the next word? Did. He just did it. The angel said, you know, take her home to be her wife. He didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, mulling about, over the implications of that. He, he just did it. You know, it's his humble obedience and his righteous nature that reflects the second character trait that is the foundational essence of holiness. It's the decision to live right by God's definition of that, regardless of personal preferences, regardless of public ridicule or opinion. This is what, this is what Joseph lived out. He was a righteous, upright, virtuous man. And he chose to live God's way regardless of the consequences. And to say that Joseph's commitment to righteousness was tested by Mary's pregnancy would be a gross understatement. 
I want you to think about this. Even after being assured by an angel, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Even after being assured by an angel that this whole thing wasn't the world's lamest excuse for an unwanted pregnancy, Joseph and Mary still had to endure the knowing winks, the cruel innuendos, the self-righteous stares and glares of family, friends, and neighbors who never saw an angel and never had a spiritual dream and would have never believed them if they'd told them. I'm not sure if my commitment to obedience and righteousness could have endured under that kind of pressure. But Joseph's and Mary's did. Joseph followed in the holy footsteps of his ancient namesake, Joseph, the son of Jacob. And I really believe it's God's prayer for every one of us that we might grow in that kind of righteousness and holiness that he'd help us to choose. We long for him to help us to choose to do the right thing by his definition, regardless of the consequences, regardless of public opinion or ridicule. Because that kind of humble obedience, that kind of commitment to righteous living is the essence, the foundation of all holiness. There are other things that would masquerade as holiness, but it's just that, a masquerade. Unless we forget there's another individual who is a key part of the Holy Family, and he was affected by the remarkable chain of events of that very first Christmas more than any other person. And, of course, I'm speaking of Jesus. The New Testament book of Philippians 2 describes pretty much anymore as I've gotten older my favorite description of Jesus' miraculous birth and its purpose this passage, Philippians 2, verse 6 and following says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. The, the language is, it, it's like you're hanging from a cliff side. And you, you, know, you think of if you're hanging and you're going to fall, how, how do you grab the side of a cliff? It's a death grip. The passage is saying, though he was God, he didn't, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to like that, to clutch, to, to out of fear, selfishness to hang on to. The passage goes on and said, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Pause for a moment. He was not born in a palace, was he? He was not born in a palace. He was born in a stable. Took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Do you, do you see the holiness factor just being described there from his birth? He humbled himself in obedience to God and died, concludes, a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus subjected himself to the ultimate test of humble obedience and righteous living when he chose to become one of us. He 
You know, and through his holy sacrifice, he made it possible for unholy people to become holy. He modeled it. He made it possible through his sacrifice. And really the invitation of Christmas is for you and me to choose it for ourselves. Just as Mary did, just as Joseph did, just as Jesus did, he longs for us to do. When most of us think of Christmas, you know, we think of stockings being hung by a chimney, we think of cards and dinners and carols sung, we think of gifts given, and these are all fine things, but underneath all the noise and the clutter lies a simple and yet extraordinary truth. And that truth can be received by every one of us who will take the time to pause and reflect during this holiday season. And that is that every one of us, it was God's dream for every one of us to choose a path of holiness. That's why he sent his holy son that we might choose him. And in choosing him, choose holiness. In just a few moments, we're going to share together in the Lord's Supper and Communion. It's something that I want to invite each of you to spend a few moments this morning during communion time thanking Jesus for his humility, his humble obedience. Thank him for his righteousness. Thank him for his sacrifice. Because those three things can make each of us holy if we'll humble ourselves and ask for his cleansing and choose to walk in his footsteps. After all, it was the angel's words spoken to Joseph that said, For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and notice what he says, And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Maybe you haven't thought about it, but the very name Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah rescues. Jehovah delivers. Jehovah saves. I want to ask you, have you asked Jesus to save you? Have you done that? You know, the price of that forgiveness was a manger and a cross. Just illustrate it this way for you in the next few moments. In the moments, our ushers are going to pass a couple of trays. There's going to be bread on one tray. It's a symbol of his body. He became flesh at the manger. And there'll be trays of juice that will be passed, symbols of the cross and the shed blood. As you eat the bread, as you drink the juice, remember the manger, remember the cross. Remember that the Holy One entered our unholiness 
so we could have hope now and forever. Hope for cleansing, hope for freedom from sin and decay and the corruption of our world, hope for joy for all time. Let's bow our heads together. Let's pray about these things. We'll talk to God about them as we share in the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the manger. That you took upon yourself flesh. thank you for the cross that you shed your blood that the sins of every one of us that my sins could be cleansed I could have the hope of peace with God the father could be adopted into his family and that's true for every one of us we thank you and as we share in the Lord's Supper this morning Lord We honor your sacrifice. You deserve far more than all of this. You didn't have to do this. You chose it because you value everyone in this room and within the sound of my voice. Would you fill us with your cleansing power, your holiness, more of you. That's what we need. Meet us in these moments, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we wrap up, I just had this picture in my mind of, it's actually a scene from Scripture. You've seen it in the painting, maybe. But it's a picture of Jesus standing at the door, and Jesus says in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock what he's doing. He says, if any man will open the door and let me in, I'll come in and we'll enjoy a feast together. I think of Christmas and what's going on this week and next week. I think Jesus is standing at the door knocking, wanting to be a part of your Christmas and mine. And obviously, you can partner with us with Christmas Eve next weekend and being a part of that service. But beyond that, um, there's a lot of things that you and I can do to open the door to Jesus being a part of our Christmas holiday this season. My encouragement to you is make your Christmas holy by opening the door and letting him in. You say, oh, Grandma will feel awkward. Grandma will get over it. And so will your sister, and so will your neighbor at that party, and so will your cousin's uncle's milkman's neighbor's brother, who, you know, is a part of something that you've got going on that you just don't do something that you know you ought to do because of that person. He's standing at the door knocking. Open the door. Personally and as a family this week and next, okay? Let's stand together. Hope you'll join us next uh, Sunday, 10 a.m. right here. Uh, come early. It would be a, be a fun, uh, fun service. It always is. 
We've got some really special things planned, so I hope you'll be a part of it. Also, I want you to know if you need prayer for something, we want to pray for you afterwards. So maybe, uh, maybe you're just thinking this morning and just feeling close to God, and you just open, need to open your heart to him in a more meaningful way. Let us kind of seal that with you in prayer. Let us do that, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your sacrifice. We're grateful for you because you are good in the fullest, most complete sense of that word. We ask that you would fill us and fill our Christmas season with joy and your presence. Would you guide us? Would you help us to see where and how we can open the door to allow you to be a part of things that are taking place? Help it to not just be about nostalgic, sentimental traditions. Help us to make these gatherings with family and friends and those who are close and dear to us. Help us to make these gatherings about you in the holy moment that Christmas was and is and always will be. Would you go with us now? We lift this prayer in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.